like this intro. Every time I hear it, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a cool jam. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Defining Truth, episode 12. It's been a minute, but we've all been very busy with the decline of Western civilization. <laughs> hey, we have a special guest this morning, uh, California State Assemblyman Bill Asaley. And Bill, in a minute, I'm going to have you give us a little background on yourself. But first... Um, I want to remind you guys that if you don't already, please subscribe to the podcast. It goes out on all podcast formats and you can watch it on YouTube and video platforms. And uh, we always need your support. So give us a follow and please share the episodes. That's a great way to spread truth. Brandon, we have a little bio on uh, Bill here that you can read us in short one. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's see what happened to my short little one. This is right from your uh, campaign site. Yeah, here we go. So Bill Asaley previously served as an assistant United States attorney, as well as a Riverside County deputy district attorney. And as a prosecutor, Bill worked on cases that included the 2015 San Bernardino terror attack, drug trafficking, identity theft, and white collar fraud. Today, uh, along with being an assembly member in the California State Assembly, uh, Bill is a partner in the successful Asaley and Brown LLP law firm. And the proud son of Lebanese-American immigrants and has lived in Riverside County for the better part of three decades. Awesome. So, Bill, before we get into anything, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, not not the uh, paste and copy version there, but how you came to be where you're at? I mean, it doesn't have to be super long, just for those who may not know you or... Sure. Well, thanks for having me. So, I... um Grew up in Corona, so if you guys know anything about Inland Empire, you know, Corona, Circle City there. Um, had a pretty <clears throat> basic middle-class life, and I always aspired to be in law enforcement, ultimately ended up being a prosecutor, and I really thought that's what I would do for the rest of my life. I loved being a prosecutor. But what I, ha- what I noticed to happen over the decade that I was a prosecutor was just the systematic erosion of um, accountability and uh, the erosion of um, public safety um, issues and laws. And it made it very difficult for us as prosecutors to hold people accountable and responsible for crimes. And uh, really the people getting the short end of the stick were the victims. And so when I was taking a look at this, I'm like, where's all this coming from? And it's through the legislature. Um, They were passing bill after bill to basically chip away at uh, public safety issues. Um, and then I looked at the actual legislators and thought, what a colossal joke of a group of people we have representing us. Um, and then I basically had the opportunity to run for state assembly in 2018. Um, and I, I did, I stepped down as a federal prosecutor to run, ran in 2018, very competitive race. We did not win that year. Um, it was a bad cycle, ballot harvesting, there's a lot of things working against us. And then I went off, opened up my own firm, honestly thought I'd never run for office again. And then in 2022, the redistricting kicked in, the new districts, and uh, my hometown became a, a more conservative red district and uh, made the decision to run. And, and then we, we got elected and won uh, last November. So that's kind of my story and how I got here. In the abbreviated yeah. format. And uh, I'm assuming that's been just all daisies and roses and fun since <laughs> you made it up there? Uh, not quite. So you have to remember, we're not just a minority in California. We're the super minority. 
Yeah. So we are 18 out of 80. We literally, I don't say literally, but we are, we are irrelevant when it comes to making public policy. We do not get to set the agenda. We do not get to set the conversations. We do not get to uh, have really uh, a meaningful say on what goes into legislation because they have the votes to pass whatever they want, how they want, when they want. Yeah, so that's uh, that's rough. And what what is it? Uh, let me back up a little bit here. What is it that you know, given your your background and all of the culture war tension going on in our country today, what is it that made you lean towards being a conservative and running as a Republican? Mm. Was it the way you were raised? Was it your personal beliefs? Tell tell me a little bit about that. That's a really good question. Um, I have to tell you, like growing up, I was so, and mind you, my parents were not born here. They're not from here. They, they came here by choice. Mm. Um, and they came here because America is the best country in the world. And everyone outside of America knows that. Um, and so I was born here, went through public school and I was always fascinated, um, by the founding of our country, our founding fathers, the documents, I've been to the National Archives, I've looked at the Declaration of Independence, I've looked at the Republic, and you really look at how this government was set up, how genius it was. I've always been fascinated and mesmerized by by our country's founding and, and the principles that guide us. And so when I look at the parties, to me, one party is for maintaining and basically abiding by those founding documents. And the other, and I guess you call that conserving, conserving our nation and conserving uh, the founding of our nation. And the other party just keeps chipping away and eroding it and doesn't like it and hates it. And there's this undercurrent that they hate America. And, you know, as I got older, I didn't really have a way to define it, but now I know it. It's, it's, it's Marxism. It's socialism. It's, there is a political ideology that underpins the left, the Democratic Party, and they need to undo what our founding fathers set up so they can put in the system they want, which is socialism. Yeah, I found that. <clears throat> now, you, um, I found a very similar experience. You mentioned you uh, prosecuted federal cases in the Central District, right? Yes. I had, um, you know, a few more than a few cases uh, that I worked there as a special agent with the diplomatic security service as well. Um, and I found that both my background in federal law enforcement, as well as local, because as you know, I was a police officer and a deputy here in California as well. Mm-hmm. I felt like, um, or I know that my experience with real life, real world issues also contributed to my perspective as a conservative. Now, you know, I grew up uh, in, in as a strong in a strong Christian home. My dad was a pastor. My parents were missionaries outside of the U.S. where I grew up mostly. So I grew up with a deep appreciation for what America was and those deep Christian ideals instilled in uh, not only my psyche, but in, in my deeply held beliefs. But I think that being exposed to real world events just further solidified that because, and I, and we make an argument for this here at defining truth all the time. We believe that conservatism is really rooted in reality, right? Uh, there's a lot of deception and sleight of hand that has to occur with leftism. Mainly history is not on their side, right? I mean, you, you have to really, work pretty hard to convince an, uh, an entirely new generation that 
you know, all of the evil and um, atrocities committed by secular humanist governments like the Nazis and the Marxists and the Soviets and, you know, the Maoist and the list goes on and on. That all of that just, you know, never really happened. And, you know, it's really America that's bad. And I feel like uh, specifically in government, and I don't know, you know, if you can chime in, but like it, it, I saw a big disconnect between liberal leftist policies in as it relates to crime and law enforcement uh just being so out of touch with reality right it causes even the detractor to say hold on a second guys like you i feel like you're missing something here you know your your policies contribute more to the detriment of uh america than than positive i mean what what are your thoughts on that no i couldn't, I couldn't agree more i mean basically the progressive the liberals they sell this they sell an idea they're selling a story. It's very imaginary. And that's why they do so young with young people. Young, young people don't really have a good grasp on history. They don't really study it or learn it, I think, like we used to in school. And so they come to these kids and they say, look, look at this utopia. Look at this utopia we have to offer. You know, why can't everyone be equal? Why can't everyone get the same pay? Why can't everyone live in a big house? Well, there's something called scarcity. That's not how the world works. Um, but they sell, they, they, they sell an imagination, an imaginary world, and then they peddle in virtue signaling. Every, almost everything that happens in Sacramento, every bill, every speech, is just a form of virtue, virtue signaling to signal or to say, look how much better of a person I am than this other person. Look how much moral I am, even though what they're doing is immoral. But it's all about selling an image. So when we talk about like things like Prop 47, uh, which basically decriminalized drug use in the state of California and contributed directly to the rise in homelessness, they'll never admit that and they'll never acknowledge that. And instead they say, oh, you people want to criminalize drug use. You want to put people in jail who have a addiction, who have a medical issue. Jail is not the answer. We are nicer. We are better people. We're going to treat them like humans. We're not going to criminalize them. We're going to offer them resources and help. Even though that's not how human nature works. I mean, people who are addicted to drugs are not going to make rational decisions and get help on their own most of the time. Uh, But they ignore that. Instead, it's just a virtue signaling and a doubling down. And then when their policies fail, there's really no accountability because their intentions were good. Um, you know, the public has a very short memory and just moves on. It's, it's, it's almost fascinating to watch. Well, and the irony is that all of their so-called loving policies, um, only further contribute to the destruction of our society. I mean, look at, look at California, right? Where crime is rampant. Fentanyl overdoses are rampant, uh, violence behaviors, just generally like in so in a social sense is out of control amongst a younger generation in schools and as they become increasingly aggressive so it turns out that you know the definition of loving someone according to the secular humanist or as as christians we say the world versus what uh western civilization or the christian judaic perspective on loving completely two different things right so in 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 a nutshell right as a christian loving someone is rooted in truth you you can't really love someone unless you're being honest with them Mm -hmm. and and the left has a a completely different perspective one of total acquiescence it's like well if, if you love me you don't ever oppose anything i say you have to agree and 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 drive forward anything i want to do regardless of whether it's harmful to me and the world around me because if you dare to tell me no 
you're a bigot and I don't like you. It's like a parent. <clears throat> it's like a parent who just gives their kid whatever they want. And right. I think that's loving them. And that's not love. I mean, that's very destructive. You know, parents sometimes have to say no or have to say this is, this is what's best for you. Um, but you can't just give your kid candy for dinner every night. That's going to ruin them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. And we have an example in, um, in the book we just finished, uh, Defining Truth. There's a whole chapter titled Love. And I wrote this example of, you know, as a parent, I have three kids. If, um, if your kid said, or if your kid wanted to put his hand on the hot stove in the kitchen and he really wanted to, uh, you know, would it be loving to stop him or to let him do whatever he wanted? Right. Uh, and, and as a child, sometimes you don't understand that because right. you, you don't understand the consequences of life or perhaps you're short sighted, you know, or whatever it is. Other people have a better perspective. But as a parent, you're thinking, you know, this may hurt you for the time being because I'm stopping you from doing something you want to do. But the truth is. I'm saving you the pain of burning your hand off, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, um, it seems childish, but it's a great, uh, example at when, when applied to social issues today. Because again, the, the left, the progressive Marxists have to do a really, really good job at convincing America and many other countries where they've tried this over and over and over again. They have to reinvent themselves and they have to convince everybody that touching the hot stove is actually really good. And if you try to stop me from touching the hot stove, you must be a racist. And people buy into that because they've never touched a hot stove before. You know? So um, it's really sad that oftentimes it takes touching the hot stove and burning yourself to realize that they've made a mistake. And I think that many nations have learned this the hard way, right? I mean, secular humanism in general in governments over the past uh, century have led to more human death toll than any other uh, form of government to have ever existed, right? And we often uh, recall that more people died in the 20th century alone than in the previous 19 centuries combined. Combined. That's 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 you know for for those who would say, oh well, religion causes wars and this and that pales in comparison to what secular humanist. And, and by just to clarify, what I mean by secular humanist is, I mean countries that have decided. We reject the idea of a creator. We don't believe in God. And so we've made government God. Everywhere that's done that has led to massive human suffering. Uh, you think, uh, even in modern times, you think North Korea, where, you know, they worship Kim Jong un and he is as a deity to them. And you see mass starvation and torture. Uh, and you see this all throughout history. Um, the numbers are there, plain as day, right? And yet, we see this now in our own country. So I want to mention um, something that we talked about beforehand. So some, some local stuff here that uh, is sort of like the front lines of this war. Um, local school district in Chino, I believe, right, has yes. introduced a parent notification policy uh, despite major state opposition. Um, tell me a little bit about you know what that is because i know you're you're more familiar with it than me and why that's important in relation to you know what we're talking about yeah so when i was running last year on the campaign trail i was made aware of several cases um throughout the state of california where parents were finding out after the fact that their kids were being transitioned at school having their gender transition meaning new names, new pronouns, new locker rooms, new bathrooms. Without their parents' knowledge. Without their parents knowing. Uh, There were several lawsuits filed. In fact, one poor mother, her daughter committed suicide. Mm. And she found out after her daughter died that her daughter was going through this and the school was involved and she had no idea. 
And so she blamed the school for, for not telling her because um, we know kids who struggle with gender dysphoria is a medical term, um, experience mental health issues at dramatically higher rates, fucking mm. suicide, depression, anxiety. So to exclude the parent from, from taking care of their kids seems just like child abuse to me. So there was that happened. And then sort of what put things over the edge, there was a teacher in my area here, Jessica Tapia, who the school informed her that their official policy is, Hey, if a student wants to transition, you are not going to tell their parents. Mm. And she and her good conscience could not do that. So you're asking me to lie to parents. I can't do that. And they fired her. You know, all this, we hear about how hard it is to fire teachers. They can sexually assault kids. They can be charged. There's nothing we can do. You can't touch a bad teacher, but one great teacher who said, I can't lie to parents. No questions asked. She had to be terminated and dismissed right away. I mean, that's shocking. Unbelievable. So she's suing the yeah. school district. So Good. those things combined made me think, what is going on here? So knowing that I'm not going to pass law, but I can at least introduce law bills. I introduced a bill. It's called AB 1314. And it didn't prohibit anything. It didn't say a kid can't transition. All it said is that, hey, if the school is going to be involved in transitioning a kid, you must notify the parents. And this is when all hell broke loose. This was uh, endangering kids and we're going to put their lives in jeopardy and we're outing kids and all this crazy over the top rhetoric. But really what it boiled down to is the official position of the government and the department of education, the state of California is that parents do not have a right to know what's happening with their kids. This is revolutionary and Really, really destructive. We can talk about it. But long story short, they wouldn't even allow my bill to have a hearing because they said it would create a forum for hate speech. Right. So my bill was <clears throat> summarily just not heard. Um, and so we went to basically plan B or phase two, if you will, because we don't have the votes in Sacramento. But guess what? There's a lot of school districts where we have parents on the school boards. Right. And we have majorities. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So we're moving to the school districts now. So Cheeto's the first district. And we expect other districts to follow suit where they're going to implement an affirmative parental notification policy, not just when you want to transition their kid, but also if the kid's, uh, you know, having other issues with low performance or uh, they get in a fight or they get injured or something, we're going to have an affirmative policy that says you must notify parents. What's what's most amazing about that to me is that conservatives, by and large, for many, many years have been on the defense, Right. And one of the primary methods that we fall back to our bulwarks, our defenses, is uh, we hide behind existing laws and legislation. And what it seems that there's in an accelerated way in recent years, the progressive Marxists have figured out like, hey, let's just change the law. Let's use the power of legislation to win moral arguments, right? So on one hand, mm-hmm. they're telling uh especially Christians and churches, you know, um, we don't want you to legislate morality. Stay, stay out of our politics, right? When, when all the while they are legislating morality, it's their belief. They're using the power of legislation to force it on everyone else. That's literally, see, morality is legislated. Whoever tells you that it's not, that's, it's not true, right? Every law we have is based in some moral premise or ethic. And, um, the question is what, predominant group determines what morality prevails, right? So right now the progressive Marxists are saying our reality will prevail because it flows alongside support for a progressive Marxist agenda. And if you dare to stand up against it, it's like, Hey, let the kid touch the hot stove. 
right? Um, along those lines, I noticed that Pacific Justice Institute is, is working uh, on this as well. Um, they, they, they refer to the due process requirements with the education code. I believe it's 221.5. I'm reading it here, which speaks against the notion that a public school district can, much less is required to conceal from parents or child's attempts at gender transition. Uh, that's according to Kevin Snyder. He's the chief counsel at, um, PJI. But the California Department of Education's protestations aside, he wrote, and I quote, one looks in vain for a provision in Section 221.5 that authorizes school employees to engage in conduct calculated to deceive a parent. Uh, that's according to the legal memo. And of course, you mentioned Jessica Tapia, right? And that was, that was the same issue. They wanted her to, in a calculated way, lie to parents. So here's, here's where um, our perspective at Defining Truth, we go a little bit deeper than the politic, right? Here's, here's where I be- it begs the question, why do they want people to do this, right? And I often say, I, I highly doubt that Hillary Clinton cares about the transgender nine-year-old who's having her breast removed in Southern California, no. right? So there is a political purpose behind the proverbial culture war issues. You and I have talked offline about this a lot. I have very strong opinions on the culture war. I, um, I don't shy away from criticizing the establishment approach to dealing with culture war. I think it's often dismissed when, in fact, I believe it is uh, none other than the primary method by which the progressive Marxists are winning the war in America. And uh, this is a great example, and, and I'd like to hear your opinion on it, but like, what what deeper political reason is behind the militant, uh, and let's just pick one, the trans agenda in California? Yeah. Well, I think everything they do is calculated to uh, gain more power, right? right? It, it's about growing power. So, look, the left have pretty much, they brainwashed all the adults they're going to brainwash, I think. I think everyone's kind of locked in in their respective political silos, You have the conservatives on one side and you have the leftists on the other and they're not budging. Nobody's budging. Nobody's moving. I think what they're making a play for here is the next generation. And they know the biggest impediment to getting the minds of the next generation is their parents, right? The parents are the biggest influence on their kids, shaping their values, their morals, their world perspective. It's the, it's the parents who shape their kids and what they're trying to do, I believe, is pierce that parent-child relationship that's sacred, and I think constitutionally protected, by the way. Um, they want to get in there. They want to create a wedge between parents and students, and then they want to be, they want the government, the state, to be the new parent, the new role model, to guide their views, guide their values. And let's be honest, they're not interested in education. They're interested in indoctrination. And that's, that's what I think is driving this. And this is the wedge issue. It's telling kids, hey, you can pick your gender. If you feel not comfortable in your body, which, which kid feels comfortable in their body? Um, very few. Hey, you're not comfortable in your body or you're having this issue. Maybe you're in the wrong body. Maybe you're a girl or you're a boy. And so this is going to fix your going back to selling this imaginary land. It's like, well, if you change your gender, it's going to fix all your issues and now it becomes this like social contagion and then, oh, your parents aren't going to accept it. So we're going to help you. We're going to be your new parent. We're going to be your new family. And it's just it's just this whole thing. And I think I really think that's what's driving it. Yeah, it's it's um, 
I, I think it's incredibly dangerous for the future of our republic. Um, and it's especially dangerous for parents who uh, dissent, who disagree with the far left's progressive agenda, because we're quickly being demonized. In fact, uh, you know, we are, right, both nationally and at the local level. Um, even, you know, for California being the fifth largest economy in the world, a very busy place, lots of problems, lots of debt, lots of drugs, lots of everything else. And way, way, way down at the bottom of that, you have Governor Newsom recently commenting on a local school board decision to remove um, uh, a staff member and, and prior to that, removing CRT from the mm-hmm. curriculum. And here you have the governor uh, essentially threatening them on Twitter, saying, you know, you, you've got my attention and, and whatever else he said. It just goes to show you that while um, many uh, conservatives on the establishment side seem to dismiss the culture war issues, that's very one-sided. Because on the left, you have the governor of one of the, one of the uh, biggest economies in the world, uh, you know, specifically commenting on a culture war issue. If I was in leadership, I might take a step back and say, hey, maybe this is important. The left sure mm-hmm. seems to care about it, right? Josiah, don't forget the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, classified parents as domestic terrorists. Oh, man. He unleashed, <clears throat> he unleashed the FBI's uh, terrorist, uh, you know, the, the, cat, the tags they used basically for, for terrorism. He authorized that to be used against parents in school board meetings. Why? Look at Virginia. Virginia was a swing state, right. and it switched from a, uh, from a liberal governor to a conservative governor. Why? Over this issue, over this issue of our schools and parenting and parental rights and what's happening in the education system. I think they see that as a massive threat, and that's yeah. why they're going so crazy on this issue. To me, though, when they're going crazy, that's a signal that we're over the target. Right. So I know we've talked about this before. I will tell you there are people in our party who shy away from controversy, shy away from from um, these social issues. I feel the opposite. I think that's when when they behave that way, when they behave crazy, that's when you double down because you're over the target. Well, it's and, also uh, it's also a great indication of how powerful the local activists can be. Right. I mean, what even what you're seeing here with Chino is that you took um AB, uh, what is it, 1314? Did I mess that up? What was yes, your bill? that's correct. You took 13, AB 1314, 14. you know, as an elected state assemblyman, and they just slammed you down, you know, not even willing to, to hear it. And yet here you have a locally elected, you know, you know, family, a mom and dads that are, that are out here saying, Hey, if, 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 if the state level won't do it, we're going to take back our city one at a time. And it's really a testament to how effective that is. I think you're right. I think probably at some point someone's whispering in Newsom's ear, Hey, remember what happened in Virginia? You know, like, um, but, uh, to me, you know, and here's a, a little call to action to anyone that may be listening. This is why it is imperative. It is beyond imperative. It, it, knowing the times that we live in, here in these precursor to conflict years, if you're a history buff, it is imperative that you engage in local politics. You have to care. There's a, there's a prevailing attitude that is infectious, and I've seen it spread amongst conservatives and pundits on social media and online, which I vehemently disagree with. And that's that you should just live and let live. We should just, you know, take our families and go move out to Idaho and disappear. That perspective is nothing less than cowardice. It does not work. It, whatever happens here will eventually reach you. 
It's going to come to you. You, you, it's not the American way. The American way is not to shelter in place and forget everyone else. We are not isolationalists. The U.S. has tried that over and over again. It leads to mass death and suffering. So if it happens on a grander scale geopolitically, it is equally as true locally. You have to care. We don't just do things as Americans for ourselves. We do it because we care about our community, our families, the future of our children, and, and other people's children. That's what public service well, the is. Best, the best defense is offense. I really believe that. Yeah. And, um, and I have to say, this is a subject that makes me sad because I think it's our side that's failing on this. I talk to a lot of people on our side, and when I say our side, I mean conservative people, right-leaning uh, Californians, they're not interested in fighting anymore. They want to cut bait and run. Almost all of them I talk to, they, they want to, they have plans. We're going to Florida. We're going to Texas. We're going to, you name it. They're ready to got, cut bait and run. And I say, well, what's going to happen to California? Because I agree with you. What happens here will just start spreading to other states. And so I really hope people take a different approach. The answer is not to cut bait and run. It's to stay and hold your ground and fight. Because it's worth fighting for. Um, and, and what kind of life do you want to lead and what kind of society do you want to leave for the next generation? I, we have become a society where people are just, they want to be left alone. They don't want any controversy. They want to watch their Netflix and their Instagram and, and get their Uber eats or, and just live this like jolly, happy life. I'm like what kind of life is this? So, but that's where we're at. And I think they're being socially conditioned to basically be complacent um, and be left alone. That's the big problem. I just read this morning, just to back up what you're saying, um, I'm having trouble finding it because I can't log into the account. But um, Brandon, you have uh, you have Instagram up maybe on your on your phone? Are you using your phone? Uh, yeah, I can pull it up. But I think I know where you're going with this. You're the, yeah. the sad about the two thirds of Californians saying that they want to leave. Yeah, was state. that uh, who who put that oh, out? Yeah. Uh, let me pull it up, but yeah, it, it was, I think it was two thirds or three fourths. I think it was two thirds of I Californians have, have considered leaving the state. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, that seriously was put out by uh, California family council, California family council. If you follow us on Instagram, defining truth on Instagram on my story this morning, we posted those stats, um, outrageously high number, are, I, and it says two th- <clears throat> two-thirds of California residents are considering moving. So that's like actively considering moving, not have considered and decided not to, considering at this moment. And the issues they listed, because that poll goes through several issues, are all issues that, you know, the, that the left is directly responsible for. They're all political issues. has to do with the economy mm-hmm. and crime and lack of affordability and housing and uh, taxes Right. We're taxed higher than any other state in the union here in California. Uh, now, yesterday we were listening to um, we were at a fundraiser. We listened to Congressman Jay Obernolte talking about uh, some of the issues that California has. And the um, now gas tax is going up yet again. Um, it's unbelievable. But, you know, it's not that unbelievable if you understand uh, progressive Marxism. 
Because all they're doing, they're not inventing anything new. They do the same thing everywhere they go throughout history. In every country, it's seize more, seize more. Um, the more dependent people are on the government. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's incremental. And it's, it's, it's almost, uh, you know, the, the frog being boiled, right? You don't know you're being boiled till it's too late. Absolutely. And that's what they do in Sacramento. Even, you know, getting back to these parental rights thing, they chip away with small bill here, small bill there. Uh, so just to give you a couple examples. They've already legalized in the state of California. Twelve-year-olds, twelve-year-olds can make independent medical decisions without their parents' knowledge or consent. So, if you take your twelve-year-old to the doctor, they will kick you out of the the medical exam room unless the child gives permission. This is state law that needs to be challenged because I don't think that's constitutional. That's, so that's step one. <clears throat> step two. Now, what they're doing is expanding it. So they're saying, so there's a bill this year, it's going to pass, that says children can now get uh, 12-year-olds and older. And I don't know how they figured out this number 12, but that's the number they've settled on now. 12-year-olds and older can seek mental health treatment or counseling without their parents' consent. And in that legislation, it says that if the counselor, who you don't get to pick and you don't even know who they are, if that counselor determines that the the 12-year-old is mature enough, the counselor can place them in a outpatient residential facility, meaning remove them from the home. No allegation of child abuse, no due process, no court process. They're going to let children make these decisions. So again, they don't do it in one bill. They do one bill here and one bill there. And then you put them together and you could see the bigger agenda. And you know what really brought this to light? I was talking to a Democrat. She had a bill to basically outlaw uh, marriage for minors. Because you could still get married, I think, over if you're 16 with parental consent or something. So she wanted to do a bill that says you can't get married before you're 18. The ACLU told her no. They told her no because it goes against their agenda of where they're empowering minors to make all these adult decisions. Yeah. So even though they probably support minors get not getting married, but because it goes against the bigger narrative and agenda that they have, they don't want to, they don't want to remove any consent for minors. So even the Democrat was like, uh, and and accepted it. She pulled it. So this is infuriating. No, that's what's happening. It's hard to hear, honestly. It's hard to hear. Now, what you're referring to, uh, often on social media and whatnot, it's referred to as the parental kidnapping bill. I know um, Real Impact has covered it quite a bit and a bunch of other policy groups and pundits and commentators. Um, But to be clear, that's a very real thing. These are not uh, conspiracy theories. They're not, you know, uh, uh, harbingers of things to come. This is happening now. And again, not to beat a dead horse, but this is why you have to be involved in civics and in in elections and uh, more than just elections. You have to be involved in what's going on in your country because we live in a republic and in a republic, we choose the people that make decisions for us. So this whole idea of, I don't care, I'm going to go just take care of myself, you are contributing to the decline of your own society. It's outrageous. Um, so, look, you and I don't agree on everything. Uh, we, we'd be amiss to not bring up ACA5. Um, this is a lot of people that listened to me uh, had an issue with the way that people voted on this bill. Um, and uh, I talked with you about it. I understand your position, but I, we, I, I can't go through this without bringing it up. So 
for those who don't know, it had to do with with changing the definition of marriage in the California Constitution. Uh, am I am I right? That's in essence yeah, what it was. Basically, yeah. In two thousand eight, the voters approved Prop Eight, which inserted the definition of marriage into the state constitution. Mm-hmm. This would this ACA five basically puts it back on the ballot to remove the definition. So it's it's effectively to undo Prop Eight is is the intent of the ACA. That, that's what the author is trying to do. And what what is can you clarify for me what was their what was their issue what was their problem that it said marriage was between a man and a woman was that that's what they wanted yeah, to get so rid of it, it was never defined in the constitution the definition was added to the constitution to say marriage is defined as between a man and a woman and let's be clear there's no need for this ACA so let's just start there the Supreme Court as you all are aware you know. Uh, many years ago now decided that the federal constitution allows anybody to get married regardless of their gender. They took the issue away from the states and uh, just made it a constitutional issue by by the Supreme Court usurping that authority. I don't agree with that uh, process, uh, but that's what the Supreme Court did, including several conservatives on the court. So that issue has been resolved. But the Democrats... Um, are not satisfied. They do not want to run for the things, reasons we've discussed about. They don't want to run on the record. They don't want to run on crime. They don't want to run on parental rights. They don't want to run on homelessness because they can't defend that. So what they do is they want to emotionally shake the public and get them on their side. The last election, if you'll remember, was all about abortion. Even though abortion was not at risk or in jeopardy in the state of California. But they made somehow the whole election about abortion whether it was school board or city council or governor or president, abortion was the issue. Uh, this next election, what it appears to be happening, the Democrats are going to make the next election all about gay rights, gay marriage, LGBT issues. Um, and that's the reason they want to put this on the ballot, because they want to have a social issue to drive their base to show up and vote, because they know when their base shows up, they win. That's what I believe is the motivation behind ACA five. So I hear I hear what you're saying. There's a strategy there, and I understand that. And, and because I've talked to you offline about this, your 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 vote in the affirmative was a response to their strategy. I and mean, help me help me understand, just for the sake of people listening yeah, who would so want to say like, well, why did you vote in favor of that? And then I'm going to tell you why. You know, I wouldn't because because let me be clear. We don't have to agree on everything, right? And that's the beauty of a republic. I um, I understand, it, you know, as a Christian involved in politics, our, our job is not to turn the Republican Party into the church. That's not how it works. We can work alongside a, a broad variety of people, right? Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, atheists, uh, you know, agnostics. It, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, but... For, for me, and you, you know this for me personally as a Christian, I have lines that I don't compromise because I, I believe that there's a deeper level than the political strategy, which is just right and wrong. And that's a moral guideline, a litmus, a plumb line, I should say, that that is my guide that, that frankly just doesn't change. So help people understand, though, a little bit why sure. um, you voted that way and uh, just the, the thought process behind it. Because I know a lot of people are kind of are upset about this, as you know. No, I, I, I understand. And it was, it's, it was not an easy vote. It's a very tough vote. 
Um, let's be clear. The only reason they're doing it is to force Republicans to vote on it. That was the sole reason for, for doing this. They did it on the federal level with the, uh, I think it was called uh, the, the Marriage Equality Act, and then they did it here in California. Mm-hmm. The question really before us is, is this an issue that we are going to relitigate, knowing we don't have the power to litigate it? The Supreme Court's taken that power away from us. It is the law of the land. And the question of putting it on the ballot is sort of a referendum, let the voters decide. I understand people feel very, very strongly about the definition of marriage. And there is a question there about what is the role for the government in the marriage institution and defining that and, uh, you know, what's the role for the churches, the mosques, the synagogues, all that. It's a very, very, I understand, sensitive and complicated issue. Uh, But when I weighed it, I, I look, here's what they're trying to do. They are trying to distract this parental rights message and narrative that we have, which I think is an 80-20 issue, maybe a 90-10 issue. They want to label us and our movement as being anti-gay, anti-trans, all this, which is not accurate or true. We're talking about children. We're talking about minors. We're not talking about consenting adults that can do whatever they want. Regardless of my, my faith, if you're 18, do whatever you want. You're an adult. You'll be accountable to whoever, whenever. Uh, we're talking about kids. And I think what they're trying to do is conflate the issues and make it about both. On this issue, I was not interested in relitigating because it's been decided and the, the public the public has moved on. Over 70% of the national public, it's probably higher in California, now supports it. And so rather than imposing my personal views or or a faith-based view, I think it's fair to submit it back to the voters and let the voters decide the issue. Um, I think voting against it would have been a political and strategic mistake because it will be weaponized. The whole election next year will be about Republicans wanting to roll back your social liberties, your social rights. They want to take away. And by the way, they didn't just lump gay marriage into this. They lumped interracial marriage because they claim Republicans also want to get rid of interracial marriage. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a very political hot potato. And all they're going to do is campaign on this issue and show your voting record. And it's going to distract and silence our ability to talk about the issues that can win and can matter. So. What? I, I don't know if that's a satisfactory answer to people, but that is, you know, what would that, you that say? What would you say to the um, you know the voter or the 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 average conservative who would say, why does it seem that the GOP is often more willing to insult their own voters? And sort of in favor of the left, and and because I, I and you know I'm very strong opinionated on this. I, I don't think that that strategy works. I know that's something that consultants push constantly, where there's this deep fear of the left. But but I mean, even yourself a couple weeks ago, right? Like you're a white supremacist according to the Democrats. So like, how, how many kudo points are we really yeah. winning when we sort of slap our own people in the face to appease a progressive agenda? Um, so I'm not, I I don't ever try to appease the left. That's not my goal. My goal is to, um, convince the public and the voters and hopefully win elections. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's who I'm concerned about. I will tell you, I, I, the majority of voters in California, over 70% independents, that includes independents, Democrats and Republicans support allowing people to get married regardless of their gender. That's just, 
that that's just a, um, that's just the reality of yeah. it. I don't think it's a winning political issue for us to relitigate it. The Supreme Court has decided it. It is the the law of the land. Um, I just it's an unnecessary and irrelevant exer- political exercise. Um, and I think it's intended to be weaponizing and to, to hurt our ability to win elections. I do fundamentally believe this would hurt our ability to, to win elections. Do you think that the uh, ability with, with independence? Do you think that the uh, California GOP will seek to change their platform stance that marriage is between a man and a woman? I don't know. I know that's been a very that, that's been a hotly debated topic on both the national and the state. Uh, platform. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't have any inside track or knowledge on that. All right. Well, just to, so, so for my listeners, then we'll, we'll move on. To, to be clear, the, the Christian perspective on this, as I mentioned, we have politics and then there's a deeper um, truth that we believe remains unchanging. For, for the believer, uh, from a biblical perspective, um, especially when it comes to politics, there's two things that are really that really define us. It's life and marriage. Those are they're sacred to us, right? Marriage is an institution uh, created by God to exemplify His relationship to human beings. That's the faith perspective. So again, just like I mentioned earlier, how I believe that the left has hijacked all these culture war issues and they've sought to politicize moral issues. To, to me, I would step back and say, well. You know, if if gay marriage was already legal, right? So so what's the deeper agenda here? Why are they seeking to push that so much? See, because I believe it's obtuse to not see the connection between the core family, meaning a, a husband and, and a wife, a mother and a father, and what they contribute to um, their children. It's 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 inexorable from the strength of Western civilization. So I, I would say, forget. Let's just forget the the biblical perspective for a minute. Like morally speaking, I, I, as a Christian, I believe that that's morally wrong. I don't hate people who don't agree with me, but that's what the left would want you to believe, right? It's like, do you think the government should be in the marriage business? Well, I think that marriage, as defined between a man and a woman, is is not um, something that should be shook. It's not really a business as much as just a statement of reality. And, and because it well, contributes. I, I say that because in, yeah. in, in the Abrahamic faiths, that is the definition. There's a lot of other faiths right, right. that I don't know if they define it or they don't define it. Right. But, um, you know, I think there's a, there's a question there on should government be the one determining the definition of marriage? Well, well what, are they, what, is, what is the left doing right now? Are they not in government? See that 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 ball goes both ways, and that's 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 my point too. When they say, you know, well, we don't want you to legislate morality; we want to legislate morality. You know what I mean? It's like one of those sides gets to legislate morality. It's still the government being involved in marriage. So that's why, you know, just to, and just to finish this thought, forget the 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 Christian Judaic, you know, uh, the faith perspective for a minute, and just think of it politically, as in. What are the progressive Marxists attempting to do in this country? Why is it so important for them to go after children, to destroy the relationship with parents, and to go after marriage? It, it's not, it's not, um, they do not care 
about the very small percentage of people that identify in, you know, the ABC's uh, conglomerate. It's not really, they use activists to achieve their political goals. They do that across the spectrum with everyone. They do that with people's skin color. They do it with identity groups. It's like any which way they can divide you accomplishes a progressive goal. That bill is, is my, that's my issue with it politically speaking. So I have two parts as a Christian. I'm not going to change that politically. Uh, do I think we're going to reverse it? Probably not. It's not going to happen in the U.S. As you said, the Supreme Court already made this decision. But uh, we can at least acknowledge that what the left is doing is intentional with a political purpose that ends up helping them win the war. So that's why um, I think that this is one of many culture war issues in general that we often dismiss as uh, you know, oh, well, it's, it's, I don't want to interject my faith or whatever, but, but for the left, their faith is government. And I believe everything they do accomplishes, like, like you said, right? It's, it's about seizing power. And then again, how does, how does this, how does the issue of, uh, you know, marriage, um, help them seize power? They want to, this is what the, this is, they want, you know, talking about redefining truth. This is what they want to run on. They don't right. want to run on the truth or reality. They want to run on, look, and this, they're very good at this because, and I, and I heard a Democrat say this at a, I was on a panel with a Democrat and we're speaking to a business group. Um, and she says, you guys, all of you up here are talking about logic. You're, you're, you're engaged in logic. What you don't understand is logic doesn't work. Emotions work. And the left is very good at capturing people's emotions and mm-hmm. using emotions to override logic and to get people on their side. So when they go to young people and they say Republican Party wants to take away your rights as a woman, they want to take away your rights to marry. They want to take away your right to interracial. This is what they run on. And unfortunately, a lot of people believe that. And that's what we're struggling with on how do we define ourselves and not let them well, define yeah. us. I mean, and I hear what you're saying. They set a vote, yeah. they set a vote after vote to basically – Define us. Well, what they're doing is they're they're legislating their morality, right? They're forcing their belief on everyone else. The the issue we have on the conservative side is conservatives have forgotten why they're conservatives. They don't really believe in anything anymore. And the left, as they're homogenous, they're united in their religion of progressive Marxism. We're over here trying to say, oh, well, we believe in God, but we can't talk about it. And, you know, we're we're all over the place. And and because of that, it's very, very difficult with the disunity to to win uh, the political war raging in this country. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and that's the truth. The one thing that defines uh, the United States of America was we were so different than every other country to have ever existed because the founding fathers took the Christian Judaic principles found in the Bible and said, let's build a country off it. No other country had ever done that. It leads to life, love, uh, liberty, you know, et cetera. I think John Adams said that the country, that the, what the government they set up only works if you have a moral and religious people. Uh, it absolutely. does not work. Yeah. Otherwise, it also, I also think the most powerful position in government, see, this is a, a difficulty that I have now being elected office, I have a different perspective. Everyone comes to me and wants me to fix it. I'm one person. I'm one assembly member. The most important office in the, in the United States, the state of California, is the office of the citizen, the private citizen. 
you as a citizen, as a collective, have so much power, you don't even know it. I mean, whether it's um, at mm. the local level, school board level, city council level, at the initiative level, at the referendum level, there's all these checks in the system. You can put in public information act requests. You can question your government. You can fi- There's so many things you can do as a citizen. And people have forgotten, I think, by design, they're made to feel like they're powerless and they don't really have the power that they have. But I just need people to remember, elected officials reflect the people that vote them into office. At the end of the day, you as a citizen have a lot of power and you have to exercise that power. Um, I know, you know, at Pastor Jack's church and a lot of other places, you guys always talk about how many Christians don't vote. They're not even at the table. Um, The left votes. They get people out. They ballot harvest. The union's out there working overtime because they know at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is the person who cast the ballot. Yeah. And they don't care how that's done or what that's done. So until we adopt the same attitude and start flexing and exercising our power, they will continue to dominate the levers of government. Yeah, absolutely. uh, It's very hard to change it by yourself from the inside. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be honest. It's very difficult. Yeah, and I I imagine that you're under a tremendous amount of pressure, both from obviously constituents, but, but also from our own, you know, leadership. So, and I'm not asking you to go into that, but like, you know, we're, none of us are strangers. I, I, I ran for Congress in, in California's 49th district and Brandon here worked in the uh, political consulting for many years. Um, you know, we've seen behind the curtain. We understand that there are forces who push and pull in uh, in these political parties. And um, I'm just so many stake. There's so many stakeholders. People don't even understand. It's like obviously mm-hmm. you have your base. And it's very important. Probably the most important. You have your constituents. You have donors because none of this works without fundraising. So you have the donor class. You have the lobbying class in Sacramento, which also is a big donor class. Then you have leadership. You know, then you have the respective parties. You have the media. There's so many facets to this, and it's very hard to battle, if you will, in any one area because they use each other to to exert control and power. Something it's very that, um, nefarious. Something that the left is very good at is is keeping their voters engaged. This reminds me of when I was working uh, on election integrity and we would tell people, you know, we'd be right after an election. There's not an election for, you know, another 18 months or maybe even two years. And we'd say, hey, now's the time to to fix the voter rolls, Uh, you know, because we can't do it within 60 days in an election. Well, nobody cares two years out about election integrity. No. They come to you on day 59 and say, okay, we're ready to fix the voter rolls. And it's like, yeah, remember when we told you 18 months ago that we can't do that? So somehow the left is able to keep their voter base engaged throughout the entire cycle. And that's something that I don't think that, I mean, working in Republican politics for the better part of the last decade, I don't think that Republicans have grasped how to keep the attention span of their voters for very long at all. And I, I don't know how to fix example. that. Yeah, I don't know either. And I'll give you a great example, Brandon, on that issue. The very first bill I introduced on the day I was sworn in, December 5th, 2022, the very first bill I introduced, AB 13, was to fix the voting system. Yep. It was to put California back to the system in which you vote in person on election day. It would have banned ballot harvesting, and it would have required you to request an absentee ballot. So no more mass mail ballots. I put this out. I did press releases. 
very little interest in the bill. Nobody cares. Very little. Nobody cared. The party, uh, they don't really want to talk about it. Uh, we got to move on from, uh, you know, voter integrity issues, whatever. The uh, All the businesses, the donor class that compared about the voting, they didn't care. The media didn't care. And so, yeah, it had a hearing. I got a hearing on the bill. I struggled to get witnesses um, and people in support of it. And it just died in darkness. And they're going to come to you 30 days before the election next time around. They're going to say, Bill, what can we do about election integrity? And you're going to have to look at them and say, remember when I tried to get a bill passed two years ago? No support. It's just that specifically election integrity is something that, that that's really true for as you said in, in the example that I gave too and, and it's absolutely infuriating because the donors everybody from the donors to the party uh, to the volunteers they all want to do something about it when it's too late and it happens I've seen it like I said I've been working in politics for the better part of the last decade I've seen it happen almost every cycle that election integrity has been an issue which has been most cycles recently and Brandon that was a good bill and it was a compromise bill because we were going to go back to voting in person and in exchange and as a compromise, I wouldn't have made election day a holiday. Yeah. So people would have been off work and said, let's just make it a, let's make it a holiday. Everyone's off work and you go vote yep. in person. There's no excuse for why you can't make it out. And it, it, it was a great bill and it got like little to no attention. Yeah. I mean, not to dig in too much to election integrity because we're running out of time, but one of the biggest issues when it comes to like ballot harvesting um, is it's not people, it's, it's the, the opportunity, um, of the, the integrity of the voter rolls. How do I say this? So when you don't manage the voter rolls, that's where mm-hmm. opportunity arises for there to be, uh, games played. I don't think that, right. um, we, when I was digging into it and looking at the data, like the raw data from the registration, uh, the voter rolls, it's not dead people voting or things like that. It's simply, uh, a mismanagement of the voter rolls. You have a 900. Intentional. Uh, yeah. Dismanagement. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, you have, uh, you have a 900 square foot house and there's 20 people registered to vote there. Well, okay. That math doesn't add up. So why aren't we doing anything about that? And when you go to present it to the, to the registrar, they're just like, yeah, you know, it's like the DMV. It's like, well, what can we do? So it's, it's a you lot less conspiracy and, and much more dismanagement. There's a federal law that requires them to maintain the voter rolls. Yeah. How many lawsuits have been filed to enforce that law? I, just think, I think maybe one against L.A. County. They don't, yeah, they yeah. don't care about See, the law. The left, no. the left engages in lawfare. They use yeah, the law absolutely. as a weapon, and they file strategic lawsuits where it matters, how it matters. We just don't do the same, and we need to. Yeah, I mean, look at look at uh, look at the legal onslaught levied at you know former President Donald Trump. All the while, you have Hunter Biden and Joe Biden receiving ten million dollars a year from the Communist Party in China. I mean, and that's like verifiable evidence. I you know you and I know I, I would take that to court if I had a download, right? If I dumped a cell phone. And I had text messages, verified messages from known Chinese Communist Party members saying, uh, you know, talking about a payoff, a pay to play scheme. I would take that to court. That's called evidence. They don't care about the law. They don't care about the voter rolls. They don't care about as long as they're winning. It's all good. And this is why uh, we, we have to fight back on a no compromise 
um, agenda, I think, because they've declared war politically. They're using lawfare, like you said. They're using the power of legislation. They are legislating morality. They're trying to change the definition of what America is. And there's a, there's a few core things that are the pylons that sustain the foundations of this country. Um, and all of them are moral foundations. As you pointed out, the founders knew that. They knew as Benjamin Franklin, when he was ambassador to France, in the 17, late 1700s, he would often give speeches. And one French uh, politician, I, I quoted him in my book, said um, that Franklin would often comment that wherever the basic principles of Christianity were introduced, it would change the world for the better. Uh, the founders believed that. And those basic principles included things that the left is now wholeheartedly attacking that we dismiss as political. It's an error. Um, before we go, I want to bring up one more thing, Bill. Uh, this is... Uh, Important, I think, I think you can speak to this probably more than some. This is, uh, Jen Saki on, um, her comments. <laughs> you probably heard this. Um, you did hear this because you told me about this. Jen Saki commenting that the GOP is, quote, manipulating Muslims against the trans community. Uh, in her segment, um, uh, let's see who covered this. Uh, actually, Megan Kelly covered it on her segment um but saki now if for those listening don't know it's the former uh, white house press secretary has gone on to work at the um the propaganda machine that is the msnbc and she went off and on about how the gop is recruiting muslims to you know oppose transgender people it's a she said it's a right-wing strategy to divide minority groups all the while by the way hundreds of primarily muslim and ethiopian orthodox parents rallied outside a montgomery county board of education in maryland last week demanding that administrators allow students to opt out of lessons that use material with lgbtq characters didn't we see this in california as well yeah, um, her name is Glendale. Glendale, that's right. You had Armenian Catholics, uh, Armenians, Muslims, all standing together to oppose, and the left is just freaking out. Now, the reason I say uh, you could speak to this is because Corey Jackson, uh, another California assemblyman, recently called you a white supremacist, right? For yes, for um, remind me again of why. What what is it that makes you well, a white he supremacist? Has, he's trying to introduce a California constitutional amendment, ACA five, to get rid of Prop two hundred nine, which prohibits affirmative action in the state of California. Mm. So he wants the government to be racist, and I oppose that. And he called me the white supremacist. Are you a white supremacist? No, I'm not a white because I don't want you on my show. I find it, well, first of all, I'm Lebanese, I'm not even white, Um, and I just, I find it shocking that if you oppose racism, if you oppose the government segregating us based on race and treating us differently, you are the white supremacist. This is how backwards and messed up their logic is, but again, logic and facts don't matter. It's about a narrative, and they're helping people. They want to help the minorities, they want to help black people, and they're saying these laws are preventing us from helping them, from giving them money or reparations or whatever benefits, and therefore you're standing in the way you're a white supremacist. It's to neutralize you, to end the conversation, and discredit you. That's that's what they, how, that's what they how do. How is it that Americans don't see this? I, I'm continually shocked by the left's continual narrative of 
um, you know, they do it to everyone. They do it to every identity group that they seem to be losing grasp on. Then they then turn around and say, well, you're too stupid to realize you're being manipulated, right? You, you, you're, you're too stupid to do this on your own. They do this with the black community as well, right? Anytime there's any issue that they're trying to racialize, they're like, oh, well, black people need Democrats. You're too dumb to get a driver's license. You're too dumb to, you know, get an ID to vote. You're too, it's so offensive and racist what they're saying that if you're not dependent on them, you're, you're an idiot, right? They're doing it now with Asians as well in the wake of yeah. the recent decision to get rid of affirmative action. Now they're saying that Asians are complicit. I read an article this morning, complicit mm-hmm. in the white supremacist agenda of the United States. I mean, Tell me, like, it works. It works because they've convinced black people and Muslims that Republicans hate them. Yeah, they've convinced them that. So they do not see us as um, as partners or allies or there to help them. Um, they've convinced us we hate them, and therefore, when their poli- when they when their policies actually hurt them, right? The Democrat policies hurt these groups, these minority groups. But because they've convinced them that they're on their site, quote unquote, they, they give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, I think what's happening now, and it's slowly, people are awakening. And I think you see that with Muslims. Now, Muslims are like, hold on, you're teaching my kids what? No, not going to accept that. We're not going to go along with that. Uh, and Muslims, are, they, they have deep beliefs in their faith. And they're going to go they're going to go exercise those in the, in the public square. And I think that's what you're seeing now. And really, Jen, what, what Jen Psaki is doing is so condescending and so arrogant. And I hope that it comes across that way to, to, to Muslims, because if you don't think the way she wants you to think, then she she doesn't believe you have the capacity to think on your own. Right. You she thinks you're dumb. You're a lower class and you have to accept her way as the right way. Uh, or you're somehow being manipulated or brainwashed by Republicans. First of all, we've had a very long conversation. Republicans aren't very good at brainwashing anybody. Mm-hmm. So the idea that Republicans have brainwashed Muslims to do their bidding is just laughable on its face. Um, it's well, because true. that's the kind of that's the kind of junk that they do, right? They engage in right. mass psyops and brainwashing, and it's 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 in every uh, socialist playbook throughout history. The psychological impact on culture is very important to them, right? Another way of saying that is the culture war, and as openly often admitted, the GOP does not engage in the culture war, right? Who was it, uh, Brandon, right. the other day? Paul Ryan who dismissed the culture war as a waste of time. Yeah, I don't want to focus. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. The culture war is exactly the method by which the left is winning the war, the political war in this country. That's all they do. It's all culture war issues. What they do is they take a moral or cultural issue and they make it political. As soon as they make it political, they say, oh, you can't talk about it anymore, right? It's like, should we be racist in uh, the the government and, uh, you know, continue to use affirmative action. Oh, we can't talk about that because if you oppose right. us, you're racist. Anyways. Well, listen, um, we're out of time. I really appreciate you coming on, Bill. Um, last, uh, I got I got a last few questions for you. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Sure, lightning round. Yep, here we go. One, uh, what's your favorite food? Oh, french fries. <laughs> what? That's not even a real That's answer. That's like a Did side. You say french fries? I love french fries. That's my That's a side. Fries. Okay. What about like maybe like loaded french fries with like loaded. like carne asada fries? Can we get some pulled pork on there? Yeah. Cheese, no. cheese fries. <laughs> cheese fries. Okay. Um okay. Uh 
uh, where's the best place to get, uh, I don't know, if, uh, now I don't trust you. Where's the best place to get, um, uh, I'm still thinking food, obviously I'm hungry. Best place for uh, Middle Eastern food that you know well, of, restaurant. If you really want some good Lebanese food, there's a place called Open Sesame in Long Beach on 2nd Street. It's really good. Okay, all right, Open Sesame, yep. I, 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 uh, someone just asked me that recently. I like Carousel in Glendale. Have you been there? Oh yeah, no, I have. It's great. It's Carousel is really good. It's really yeah. good. Okay. Um, I was on, uh, I was on another podcast last week and he did a lightning round with me and he asked me this question. I was not prepared for it. So I'm going to, I'm going to uh, use it. And I'm going to ask you what, uh, if you could drive any car, if you had your choice, right? Don't worry about the gas and pretend uh tyrant Newsom doesn't exist. What, uh, what would you drive? You know, I just saw this Arnold documentary, and he had, like, yeah. this six-wheeler military vehicle. I would love to drive one of those things. A Hummer? You know, he had, like, a military vehicle. It was, like, a six-wheeler, and he was driving through the snow in Lake Tahoe. That's what you cool. would drive? I would, drive I would want to drive. Are you I, talking about every day? Or I, don't, I, don't know if the, I don't know if the Democrats <laughs> in Sacramento would appreciate you rolling up there in a six-wheeled military vehicle. Could you imagine just coming on the steps of the Capitol? Like, they oh, would I have... love it. <laughs> You would be so canceled. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, um, keep fighting the fight, please. The war has just begun. Uh, for every, Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, State Assemblyman Bill Asaley, we appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your thoughts and going back and forth with us a little bit. Uh, any parting words? And we're closing it up. No, just thank you guys. And I, I really hope everyone listens, you know, thinks about these things and maybe talks to a few friends or family members and gets them engaged. Awesome. Outstanding. Well, thanks again for having us on. Brandon, cue the music. And as always, uh, follow us on social media platforms. Check out.